0: Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin and I'm Marcella and this is Beyond the Pen where we take the well-known adage read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books but also learn the story behind the story. Hello
1: Marcella how are you this week? Am I this Well, that's good. We're happy that you're awake this time. Now, this time, <laughs> what other well, times were you talking about? <laughs> well, we won't go into
0: those because I like to live. Um, <laughs> so this week's going to be a little bit interesting because again, we're we're continuing with the, the fantasy, fiction, and everything, and we know how much you love fantasy. Maybe. You know, you live a life of fantasy.
1: Technically, you know that's what happens when you're a goddess.
0: Yeah, that too we will give you that and, and the fact that you have all these wonderful crystals around you and uh luna and her business and you know i think it's this is one of those things that let me get your insight in exactly what you look for when you're looking at a, a fantasy world what are some of the things that you really look forward to when you're reading a book like this
1: I have I have a lot of preferences because I grew up in the uh, age of D and D, so I was always an elf or a um, a sorceress. Of course, of so course. these are the kinds of things I look for: elves, magic. I can go with dragons, you know. They're not necessary, mm-hmm. you know. Depending, depending on on the time period as well, because I like time travel. So that's what I look for.
0: That's true too. Good. Mm-hmm. So. It doesn't have to be a specific time era for you in terms no. of the way you enjoy it. No. Okay. Well, you know, the one thing I love about our next guest is that even when you look at his bio, it reads like a fantasy. And I'll give I'll give you a little bit of an example of what I'm talking about. Born of steel, fire and black wind. <laughs> J.V. Hillard was raised as a highlander in the foothills of a once great mountain chain on the confluence of the three mighty rivers that forged his realm's wealth and power for generations.
1: You're doing father, voice. I'm dying.
0: I, I know. Like I say, <laughs> His father, a peasant twerk, toiled away in industries of honest labor and instilled in him a work of ethic that would
1: shape his destiny.
0: I mean, if, if
1: I need him to write my bio, honestly, I, 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 I might to have like to me. ask him to write mine as well, but I have one thing to say. He, he said he was, he was a Highlander. Um, mm-hmm. watch your head. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lose wow. your head. Yeah. <laughs> wow.
0: Well, yeah. You have to be a certain age to understand that one or, or know the world mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Um, But here's the other thing that really is interesting about Mr. J.V. Hillard is that he's also a co-founder of a publishing company called Twin Tales. And they do a variety of different things. They just had a contest, I believe, uh, for authors, and they just congratulated the most recent award winner. But besides that, I mean, there's so many things with him that we're going to get into but I want you guys to keep that in mind in regards to like the way that he wrote his bio it is pretty much the way that he wrote the entire book in his series. He is so much of a fantasy man that he even named his horsehounds Thor and McLeod. So that tells you MacLeod. something about and <laughs> even the way that he bribes his wife. Uh, I think it was the, the diamond, diamond something. I'll, I'll have him say this, but, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the shadow hunter to your twin tails, Mr. JV Hillard.
1: Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe. Hi, Joe.
2: Oh, my goodness. Can yes. you hear me?
1: I don't know any yeah. other Joe on this set. So. I know. I was about to say, I'm not, there's no other <laughs> Joe's <laughs> but you. So,
2: oh, there it is. Can you hear me now?
1: Yeah. yeah. We right, hear before. Right,
2: no. I I apologize for that. I was on mute and I unmuted on the bottom but it wouldn't unmute in my box and I was like what's going on here? So there's there's my technology two thumbs up. I apologize for the gaff there. So yes. You we need a mage
1: to come in and just like
2: you know. I do. Yeah. I do. Thank you guys for having me today. I really appreciate that. It was very smooth. Great introduction by me. Thank you. Uh,
0: if anything we can bring his his wizard uh, uh, wizard uncle no it was a uh, wizard brother involved into this because of everything he's involved in too my, i'm uh,
2: glad you, you you liked my my bio what i tried to do with that was cast myself as a character within the realm of warminster right and so instead of having this the typical author bio which you know it you know talks about where i went to school and who i'm married to and my kids and all that kind of stuff instead i focused it as if i was the chronicler of the realm of warminster and i was telling the tale uh and so i just fantasized my bio a little bit and, but if you know me well enough you can decode the code uh of the bio and so like ranger of the diamond which i described my wife as that's
0: what it was right uh,
2: she played third and second base and in baseball and or softball in college so uh you know diamond for baseball and she was someone that would play the position that was kind of a ranger. And, of course, a ranger is a, you know, a very popular class of character in fantasy adventure like Aragorn or Dritzt um, or any of those folks. So I thought that was fun. And, you know, and yes, uh, the Highlander thing isn't from the movie Highlander, but my dog's name, McLeod, is from the movie. Uh, so <laughs> I'm a big fan. Highlander, I actually went to a high school where our our mascot was a Highlander. So I was describing myself once from the highlands, meaning I went to that high school. And then I went to the cathedral to learn, which is the university of Pittsburgh, where we have the cathedral of learning uh, and stuff like that. So it's just, it's a, it's a fun way of, I think, introducing yourself. It's unique. uh, And it also gives me, you know, uh, I think a talking piece sometimes when people like it, some people don't, I, I got told one time that, um, you know, what is this? I don't understand this. Why aren't you being serious? And I was like, well, it's creative and I'm trying to be, Artsy, <laughs> it's and it's fun. So I'm sorry if you're offended by it, but it's a it's an author bio, right? We'll, we'll get beyond that. <laughs> but thank you guys.
0: I thought it was hilarious. Who would be offended
1: by that?
2: Uh, someone who I reached out to to be on their podcast, and and they asked me to be creative in my response, and I sent them that, and they said, "I don't know what this is."
1: Max, uh, shame oh, on you.
2: you to be creative. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know I Like I did this before. I was coming on your show, so it doesn't matter. It's not going anywhere. <laughs>
1: I think yeah. it's See, she's
2: already throwing me
0: under the bus. We haven't even started. She's already thrown me under the bus for something <laughs> I didn't even do.
1: I have no proof of that.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go on. Uh, there's a lot of things. We Anyways. So since we've already started to talk about your introduction and everything to this world of fantasy and how you really perceive it, As something very creative, not only in the world that you've created of Warminster, but also in your own personal life. Is there something that we don't know about you that we can't find on the internet?
2: Well, yeah, sure. Um, So a couple of things, Uh, you know, I got my start in writing in the strangest of ways. Um, When I was born, uh, my mother was a, a nurse, but my uncle was paralyzed in the war. And when he came home, Um, she ended up basically being his nurse full time. Uh, And as a result of his physical condition, uh, one of the things um, that, you know, he had to do was find ways to kind of escape. Right. And so escapism from him was things like teaching me to play Dungeons and Dragons when I was 10, it was a way for him to escape, you know, his body and, and walk again in, in the eyes of these, you know, looking through the eyes of these characters um, as well as, you know, professionally there was very very few things that he could do as as a quadriplegic. And one of those was write. So he would, you know, bang out on a typewriter, old school typewriter. And I would sit there and, you know, and when you're young, you don't you don't know the difference. You accept the people for who they are. And um he became a second father to me, a real mentor. And it was his desire, um, you know, I think to be a writer. And and at the time he was writing mostly horror short stories, novellas. Pulp fiction, you know, things that would find their way into magazines and such. Um, But I always kind of felt I just wanted to follow in his footsteps. Uh, And when I was in the fourth grade, I remember he secretly entered me into an eighth grade writing class. And um, there was a competition and I won. And when I showed up to get the award, they looked at me and they're like, you're you're not eighth grade (laughs) so you know it's it's a little fun stuff but it it really showed me that if i wanted to dedicate myself to the craft of writing that i that i could and i think it was you know spending all those hours with someone who was willing to be that sort of second father figure and you know help me uh you know even at a young age understand how to do it and do it better and accept constructive criticism and you know and for us you know fantasy adventure was an escapism for him and therefore it became an escapism for me
0: That is awesome. You know, because there's a lot of things that we do need that escapism from this world sometimes, especially if you really can't physically do it. That's one of the best ways to really keep yourself healthy enough to where you can realize, Hey, I may not be able to do this here. However, I can do this and to help to inspire the next generation of writers and readers i mean that's one of the coolest uh things that you could ever do for somebody you know that's a great legacy to leave behind for for this world and i'm pretty sure that he's extremely proud that he's he did that and was able to get you to do something that most people are extremely that are really afraid to do and or they just can't do and so they Rely on others that are creative, like you and myself and Marcella, to do these things for them, to give them escapism.
2: And but, I think that you know I've tried to honor his the tradition and and many of the many of the storylines and the the arcs within the story um, come from those Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, right? You know, not all, uh, but you know, my family and friends recognize some of the names of the characters because I've taken them from either the villains that, you know, when I was dungeon mastering, I, you know, I, they'll recognize that or a certain campaign uh piece that's, that's woven into the the, the chapter, but he and I, he got me started. I'll, I, you know, it's I, when, when I was 10 years old, I asked for a D and D box set when for Christmas and he, I ended up getting that and I got my first copy of the Hobbit and it's the best Christmas I ever had. I mean, it's just, you could read the Hobbit over and over again. Uh, and you can play Dungeons and Dragons. And Every time you play the game, it's a different game. Uh, it's never the same, you know? And so for those, you know, who I would label as creative and don't always want to play the same game over and over again, I, I would, you know, that that to me helped me. And I think it also helped to foster a creative uh, a mind and a creative spirit that that led to other things, so
0: it's funny that there are certain people you would never think that would play dungeons and dragons and i know this is not part of the it is but it isn't part of the the uh, book but um there's a lot of people you would never think that actually play it you know terry cruz is one of those guys that is really not only athletic when you look at him, he's very creative. He plays he loves playing Dungeons and Dragons or role-playing games in general. He's an artist as well. I never knew that he could draw so well. I mean he is magical when it comes to that when it with that creative side of him. Um, but Vin Diesel is another one that many people don't even think that do it. Um the big show from WWE does it. You know, and these are people that you really Joe Magnanello. You, you don't even think of people like that. Or uh, Steven Spielberg. I mean, there's so many people that you look at and you're like, there's no way that they do that. But yeah, they do. They enjoy it. But back to the uh, the book right now, I wanted to get your insight on something that we don't even see um, when we first get into, this, into the book. And like many prologues there's always has to be some type of underlying situation uh, that happens for us to really begin the story. And I wanted to get your insight on when we're introduced to the character Gritoris, <clears throat> excuse me. He is blinded, he is wounded, and he is running from some guards but I was wanting to see if you could give us like the architectural prequel to the prologue real quick. If it doesn't have anything that we have to find out later on.
2: Yeah. So, you know, what I wanted to do was most books, when you read them, they start out showing the protagonist and uh, I want my books to be a little different. Every prologue is going to show a villain and their backstory, because I think that in order to have a great villain, they, not everybody is, I mean, villains are not born evil, right? Something happens to them, uh, whether it's, you know, conditional or physical or uh, mental. And in his case, you know, this the secret behind why he became who he is is something that you learn throughout the course of the, of the four book series. It's not something that's revealed right away. But I, I give the reader an opportunity to see, into the blinded eyes of who is going to be the villain throughout the, the novels. Right. Um, and, you know, the backstory behind that is, is really one that in part comes from real life. Um, when I was uh, younger, when I was in my, my late teens and early twenties, I had a series of recurring nightmares um, that involved something very similar to what the, the main character, Damis Alaric sees in the novels. And, you know, I, I kind of cast myself in the in the character of Damus uh, while casting the evil recurring nightmare that I had as Great Taurus. And it was something that scared me. Uh, and I'm not talking about 10 years old, you know, or any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about 17, 18, 20. I was in college, you know, at 20 years old and experiencing these things. and the And the nightmares, you know, showed me something. And I just said, you know, what would terrorize me? And so I created this character arc around the the villain in my own nightmares. Uh, and then I just stuck him on top of Damus and just made a fantasy out of it. So uh, that's where that really came from. Um, you know, and I I, I do that in, in book two, book three and book four. You'll, you'll get a chance to see behind the scenes uh, a little bit of the origin stories uh, behind the bad guys, uh, because I think, you know, you've got enough pages and enough words to, to help you figure out what's going on with the good guys and who you're cheering for. But I want to make the, the bad guys more believable.
1: I really love that. Um, Cause he, you know, he just answered one of my questions. I always ask if any of the characters in the book are um, based on you or people that, you know, uh, we've had someone who I think her whole book was everyone she's ever met, <laughs> which is, is kind of, kind of where yeah. I go with that. When I meet a person um, <clears throat> I decide, you know, how I'm going to utilize that. And uh, what was, there was a quote one time, if a writer falls in love with you, you can never die. Um, so now this is out of curiosity. I had a character I created years ago and uh, he was set in stone. That's it. And I met someone and he reminded me so much of this that I changed the whole arc to, to be more like this person that I met. Have you ever done that?
2: Uh, Yeah. You know, so uh, I think you know. Getting back to your 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 quote, I mean, I I think authors at at worst are good observers. At best, they're incredible observers. And you know, you can see a good story forming in your own life or someone else's life, um, or things forming around you. There are things that I write about that I see that I think just look cool, and I just put them in my 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 novels uh, and in that way you know, and then, you know, I think when you're writing fantasy or sci-fi or things that are not grounded in realism, you have to ground part of it in something that's real so that people can believe in that. There's enough world building out there that, you know, you can make a, you know, reversed gravity, you know, realm if you wanted to. You can make a realm where people live 10,000 years. There's no rules to that, but there has to be some rules that ground you and help you with that suspension of disbelief, you know, as a reader. And I think, part of that comes with writing characters that are believable. And and you find that by, you know, people and behaviors that you see in life. Uh, and you can either exaggerate them or, or, or fine tune them so that they fit those, those characters. And so in the case of great Taurus, he was just a character I'd met in my dreams and I turned him into this evil nightmarish uh, villain uh, in the novels. And in the case of Damus, you know, even though I don't see myself as, as, as Damus in any capacity, it was just an experience I had that I thought was cool, and I threw it onto him, you know, a, as a character. I think the closest thing I've done for myself is one of the other main characters is a, a character named uh, Sir Ritter of Vulcaneer. Um, and he's one of my old D&D characters. He was just a half elven ranger <laughs> that, you know, uh, I basically co opted the entire tabletop role-playing game experience and 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 build a character arc uh, around him and and change some names and things like that but you'll i i tease you know my wife and her best friend they gave me this idea they they wanted it to be called the gemini twins and it was some goofy almost comic-y superhero thing and i said no 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 i've got a great idea for it and i created this creature in book two called the ophidian which is which is this cryptid. It's it's basically a, a woman that's a conjoined twin and there's two tops of the twins, kind of like Gemini but they're evil and they run this like bordello in one of the cities where they you know guys get this information and stuff like that and there's a, a murder scene in it and they're like wait a minute you took this great idea and you took your wife and her best friend and made them a conjoined twin and a bordello <laughs> I was like oh, I didn't even realize I did it but I was like and I thought it, they would be proud of it I was like hey you guys gave me this idea this is what I did with it are you going to be happy and they're like what were we're prostitutes like what it what happened here you know and it's just one of those things where you just you're never going to live that down but it's a true story and and i think people will, will enjoy the uh the character of the ophidian so when you get to book two wait for the ophidian
0: <laughs> oh my gosh i cannot wait to get that that's freaking hilarious all true all true <laughs> i know here's the thing i have i know i've seen my wife as a villain some ways <laughs> But I have never had the guts or gall to even put that out there in a book, and (laughs) like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna make my wife and her best friend the villains of this story.
2: See, in, in my head though, my problem was, Matt. I literally thought that this was like an homage to, like, I was taking their idea and I was making this cool, memorable, this totally memorable character that they that they could say oh yeah I, I had an influence in making that something that if you know you were to read the book you're gonna be like wow I remember that character cool name awesome angle just enough that it you know kind of you know adds a little flavor it wasn't just some random you know I, I paid some guy in a bar and he gave me I made an entire character out of this thing and then you realize when you're done you're like well yeah this that's my wife <laughs> like I made this character and it just, you know, it's it stuck. And I mean, thankfully she's, we're still together and she loves me. And we're all good. But, you know, I don't think she wanted me to go that way. She saw herself as this like superhero comic book, you know, flying to the rescue and, and I made them a villain.
0: <laughs> yeah. World building and, and character creation is, is definitely something of there's a, there's a line at some point but even sometimes we just, as creatives, we just have to jump over that or in your case, you know, going over a cliff um, <laughs> into a bloody pool of something. Um, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of the world building, I think it's really interesting how you created so many different things or put a twist on certain things as well. So for instance, When it came to the the races, you know, in fantasy we always have the the standard, R. R. Tolkien version of elves, dwarves, uh, halflings, and of course, you know, the D anD D world with dragonborn, uh, changing the stuff like this. But you took it and you actually gave them an entirely different um, name in some in some ways. Yes, we still have the elves in there too. But you also gave us a perspective of giving them a, a nickname that either is conveyed as negative or even positive. What was your insight in, you know, creating these new systems and gods and all this comparative to just using the, the same thing like everybody else does in a way?
2: Yeah, so I think that, I mean, you just hit on it there with your last statement, right? I mean, it's my world. I have to own it. And, and as much as Tolkien was the grandfather of the genre, in many respects, you know, you want to you create things that are your own. Uh, and so, you know, in my, um, in, in the realm of Warminster, you know, I do use the idea of elves because they are ubiquitous and in some cases tropish. But what I've done there is I've created this sort of like Indian system of, of like a caste society for them. Uh, where the Vermilion Elf sits atop it all, and these are these, these elves that are almost ethereal, and all Elven cultures nearly worship them. They've deified them, and in, in some sense, where they they are the closest to their god, this ancient known as Melexis. And as you mentioned earlier, I use the the term ancient to describe a you know uh, a god within a pantheon of gods, and the hall of the ancients is where they they live. And you know, I think that it was important. Uh, for me to define them differently than you find them in Dungeons and Dragons or Tolkien or or you know any of the other like the the Terry Brooks sort of Shannara stuff, uh, you just need to define them differently. Uh, and so I, I created them uh, differently with that in mind. Uh, and then to get away from you know the the standard you know rock dwelling dwarf that's you know with the big early axe, instead you know I made a realm of of creatures known as twergs that I've given them kind of a, a Nordic uh, background. And if you, if you, you know, when I did my research, you know, into like Norse mythology, they had a lot of these things. In fact, the Halder folk in my, um, you know, in, in the realm and, and in my books are based on some of, of their like pixies and brownies and uh, and things like that. And I've taken the names, more ancient names, uh, and try to, you know, spring some, you know, give them their own life. Uh, within the novel, and so I started looking at ancient cultures—Indian, uh, uh, African, uh, you know, uh, Nordic cultures, some you know, Germanic uh, and Scandinavian stuff you mentioned before. Sort of a, a Britannia feel for, it. and I tried to do that alongside languages and monetary systems and uh, religious systems to make it my own. Uh, as part of that, and so that's that's why I did it. I wanted it to be unique, but I also wanted it to be familiar enough that if you were a tabletop role-playing game or you were a fan of the movies or you've read you know lord of the rings or any of the brandon sanderson stuff or the aragon you're going to be able to you'll find some level of familiarity with it so it's easy for you to kind of follow along what what my races and my you know my monsters are, are doing here but i wanted them to be unique
0: you even took it to the point of creating an entirely new style of magic system as well, or at least giving it a different uh, title. Um, and, and you're, you're going to have to help me with the uh, pronunciation of the uh, of the magic itself. Um, one of them being uh, juxtaposing. Juxtaposing.
1: That, that wasn't that hard. Was it Mac?
0: I was tr- confirming that I actually said it right. Stop. Anyways, but the other one was, oh, this is one's gonna be uh O'Neir O'Neiromancy,
2: uh, Romancy, yeah,
0: Anaromancy,
2: yeah. So don't yeah. look
0: at me like that. I have a twelfth grade grade level. Okay, <laughs> I didn't do good when it came to vocabulary. Marchello's yeah. like staring me down like I'm an idiot.
2: Hey, look, I hear they're they're pretty simple. So the the idea of the juxtaposition. Uh, is one that's it's taken from a lot of like Wiccan culture. Um, we always see, or especially around this time of year for Halloween, such you have you know you've got you know witches that have black cats with them. Well, they they were they're called familiars, and and familiars are these little you know dominatable creatures that witches and warlocks use to do their bidding. Well, in my case, I inverted that a little bit, and instead of having you know, the, the Wiccan as part of it in this sort of like Salem black cat culture. And I took the concept of having a, a, a pet, but made it usable. And in the case of Sir Ritter of Vulcaner, he's part Elven and he's also has a sorceress as a, as a mother. And so he's inherited this little taste of magic, this little bit. And with that, he's able to control his own familiar, which is this war Falcon. And he uses it to hunt and he uses it to protect his realm, so he he's able to juxtapose himself through the eyes of the bird, and when he sees through the eyes of the bird, his eyes actually turn into bird like eyes, but he's left his body and kind of projected himself into this this war falcon and he can command it to see or to hunt or even attack um and you know he can hear through its ears and and be there as a as a little bit of a spy in the same way that a black cat would or a rat or something else, um, you know, in, in typical, you know, uh, literature uh, they've used that too. And, and in the case of Anna honoramancy is, is a form of, you know, uh, telling the future. Uh, and, but you do it when you sleep. Uh, so the future comes to you in dreams and then you have to interpret those dreams. So it's very Edgar Cayce ish. Uh, if you're familiar with, with him, um, You know, and there are other ways that other prophets have done that over the years. Sometimes they look into a mirror. Uh, sometimes they look into a pool of water. Other times they, they're looking at bones or rolling dice or flipping tarot cards. Everybody has a different form of this kind of seer ability. Divination. Pardon me? Divination. Divination.
1: Divination tools, yeah.
2: Yeah, so, you know, and as they're divining this this knowledge from the ancients, it gets delivered to the Keepers of the Forbidden, you know, those that keep this forbidden knowledge for the, you know, the, the mortals of the realm. It gets delivered to folks like Damus Alaric, who, who have this, this. in his case, his sight comes to him in his dreams.
0: Speaking of Damus, I wanted to ask you real quick in terms of the ranking systems that you have within your world. Um, and I believe Damus is located at the Great Hall. Is that correct? It's one of the cathedrals.
2: All right. He's at the cathedral, of the watchful eye. Yeah,
0: that's what it is. Yes. The way that you had his ranking in terms of his title was low keeper. Yeah. Um, and when we meet him, he's, he's dealing with this entire nightmare and just recovering through the night. And one of the things I was really interested in was when he was waking up in the morning um, after like 15 minutes worth of sleep, Uh, he was saying that he had to go and uh, sweep out the stables and feed the livestock. Right. What is their real position within this organization? Is it basically they're just slaves or servants, or is it merely that they're students that are just, they have to do the hard stuff, the the daily stuff, and then go to, to study like they do in the military academies?
2: Yeah, so it's it's a bunch of that stuff, right? So the, the divine protectorate of Arood which is the 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 ancient that they they worship, is this uh, this god, or, or in this case, you know, this ancient of, of 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 knowledge that bestows upon them this the sight, and the sight comes to these keepers of the forbidden in many different ways, as I described a little earlier, and when you start to manifest your abilities as a young child, typically you have a dream of a higher keeper coming to you and that keeper has a dream of you and then you meet them and then they take you to the cathedral so you could become an initiate. So to answer your question, an initiate is is someone who's just arrived at the the cathedral to begin training. Um, And then they rise to the rank of low keeper, someone who's starting to attend classes and is understanding how to control their powers. And then that rises to prefect. And first, uh, first keeper, and then to the great keeper. And so, whether it's something you would, you know, put in the ranks of like military, or even, you know, using the like Catholic Church, like the Pope would be the great keeper versus a deacon or a priest or a cardinal. Using that so that you can see a level of progression, which made sense. And part of that comes from training. Part of that came from his life experiences. Now, in his case his is a bit supercharged because of the situation that that the story ramps up with you know in in the prologue and in chapter 1 uh, you get punched in the face with with his origin story a bit um but you know i think that that helps to better understand where he is in the grand scheme of things he's just almost lowest guy on the totem pole so yeah go clean the stables yes go feed the horses yes we need you to take care of these deliveries but then During the day, you're going to come to classes and your prefects are going to teach you how to hone your skills so you can be better at what you're doing.
0: You really get an insight in almost the connection between Gratoris and Damus right from the beginning as well. It almost gives you that insight of, if I have to use uh, someone else's version of it, it would be like Harry Potter and Voldemort. Or Voldemort, I, I can't say his name Voldemort,
2: yeah, you're not supposed yeah. to he who
0: Voldemort, him. yeah <laughs> exactly, Kim, yes um, yeah. but it was really interesting how you created that relationship already between the antagonist and the protagonist in a way um, but also you almost gave a sense of, of culture shock too as well as we're continuously reading uh, through the book in terms of the different lifestyles and um, formalities between, you know, Sir Ritter, Prince Montgomery and the way they live in a way, you know, Prince Montgomery and his cousins and his brother come from, you know, this great, beautiful, lavish castle. And then you get to Sir Ritter and it's like a, a huge contrast between this fort and this castle Of Sir Ritter growing up in this castle that's seen hell and high water, you know, through the past and the future or recently. And then when you get into the great halls, it's even weirder in the culture shock of, you know, when you're in with the king, uh, there's a huge level of separation between the servants, the soldiers, the royalty, and all this stuff. But yet when you get to Ravenwood, it's like everybody's all right there. You know, the royal family sits down with their soldiers, the servants, they all eat at the same table. And I love how you use the variations between our world in terms of the cultures that have these various styles. Like Norse, everybody sits at the same table. Everybody works the same way even if it comes down to the king actually going out and helping put defenses up or anything like that. Um, with that being said, I did want to get like a, a behind-the-scenes insight in terms of the conversations from, uh, what was it, Captain um, Shale with the royal family on their way to the castle and him like thinking almost what was your thought process in terms of like a, that conversation like okay you're going to come to a situation where this culture is going to be completely different when you walk into this great hall it's not going to be lavish like you're used to it's going to be furs and animals on the walls <laughs> what was that conversation in your mind like
2: yeah so you know captain shale was the bridge character right like he the the reason that um I, I made the dialogue go down the way it went is you know he's bringing to the farthest reaches he's he's basically bringing the the, the prince the two princes and the two viscounts away from thronehelm this capital of all capitals where they're used to being uh, and the the culture shock of them going to the frontier to face these troll-born marauders these 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 brigands that are attacking uh, where they are um, and knowing that they're not going to have the lavish stations that they once did. And they show up wearing metal armor. Uh And that's not going to float when you're out there hunting, you know, brigands in the woods, you're going to shine like a beacon. And so like, there's, there's the talk that they have to go through for, for that, but also, you know, it's, it's true, right. In many respects. And 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 I wanted to underscore the difference between Ritter as a low born noble and one of troll born blood And the real blue bloods, the royalty that's there. And even though they went to the same military academy together, uh, they don't remember Ritter, right? Because he didn't eat at their table, right? You know, he he didn't get the same things, but Captain Shale remembered him, you know, in, in the same way that a good captain would remember their best point man. You know, or or would remember somebody's valor at a certain battle. Instead of worrying about where the the, the princes and and the viscounts were, he knew that they were gonna be at the back of the line. He was worrying about his best warrior, and he had recognized it as Ritter, regardless of his station in life. So this lowborn knight that's born of trollborn blood, you know, didn't matter to him. He wanted to talk about the story that Ritter did well and how that came together.
1: Um well I'm waiting for my copy (laughs) so I can read it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's a lengthy read. It's not, I mean, it's, it's a nice, it's Epic fantasy, right? So Mm -hmm. what you expect when you think of Epic fantasy, just that first word Epic, you know, it's a lot of reading, a lot of details. Uh, And in the beginning, you know, I think that um, it's a lot of, characters that you're gonna have to learn over the course of a four book series makes it easy but in the beginning it's it's like a blitz of them and it's it's uh not for everybody uh and that's okay i mean epic fantasy is something i love and you know, having the the histories and the annals of the histories go back and talk about it in the way that that Tolkien has and or, um, you know, you like the Game of Thrones with with Martin and the way he does it. I mean, you know, people that have been around and families that have run and there's history there for a thousand years. That's the kind of stuff that I like to write and really kind of enjoy immersing myself in.
1: Oh, well, you're talking about someone, or you're talking to someone who would wait online at the bookstore overnight to get Stephen King's next copy of the dark tower. Well, they, I don't know if you're familiar. But... I,
2: I, I used to work at a bookstore. I'm very familiar with the yep. Tower. Yep. Um,
1: but it. But I'm hearing a lot of, uh, and I, I, I'm hearing a lot of Dickinson in this and I was giggling to myself because I said, wait, there was a movie when I was a kid. It was my favorite movie. It was called The flight of dragons and John Ritter played the main character and I was like, God, is that who Ritter's name after? So I'm just, you know, that's the way my mind works. But well, now um,
2: Ritter actually means knight in German, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, and so his father's name is Herzog, and Herzog ah. means in German. Right. So it was a matter of just taking those things and and playing sort of like because in my head, as Mac mentioned earlier, there's a there's a there's a, a very Scandinavian and, and Central European mm-hmm. feel to at least this area of the realm, uh, and so you know, I figured those names might be something that people would have. <laughs> you know, it just made, oh, that's great. It just it just made sense. And of course Ritter is a knight. So it's a hidden mm-hmm. way of saying night without saying night.
1: Right. Well I think this is about the time where I will be asking you just two questions. We used to call this our our um fire round. What do what do we call it, Mac? It was it was our, our rapid uh round or something. Lightning
0: round. Lightning, Lightning round. round. Yeah. yeah.
1: We had yeah. um we had five questions, but it was, just saying, I'm not asking. Yeah. I'm not asking all these questions. So, <laughs> so all right. all right. yeah, uh, no, it's only two now. So the first one is what is your writing kryptonite?
2: Um, so the simple answer to that is my dogs. <laughs> you know, I I've got two dogs. One is a Siberian Husky named Thor. And the other, as I mentioned earlier, is a red Fox lab retriever. Uh, named mcleod and i am surprised as i'm sitting here in my home office that they haven't uh stopped me and knocked on the door mcleod like he's very polite about it he goes and scratches on the door uh thor will stand up and give you an entire conversation as a husky he'll talk to you Uh, and typically they are the ones that are my kryptonite. They'll want to go for a walk or they'll want to go for a drive or they're going to want some food or why why am I talking into a screen and not talking to them and why am I sitting in my office and not out there? And so sometimes that pulls me away. So I find myself migrating in times of great need of writing, (laughs) leaving the house and going to a coffee shop or a library (laughs) somewhere and just plugging in there. So that's my writing kryptonite, my dog's.
1: Wow. Um, I wish I had that problem. <laughs> um, okay. So last question. Is there a famous quote or song or a person that inspires you to continue doing what you're doing?
2: Yeah. You know, I mentioned it at the top of the show too. It's, it's my uncle Joe. I was really inspired by him in the beginning. He's long past, you know, 20 years with his condition. They were surprised he lived in the first place, but he lived through my formative years and he died when I was 20. And um, I try to live through that memory and anything I write, there's a legacy in there. I dedicate it. Mac, you, you teased about my warrior uncle who lived in the tower. He was he was the one that was injured. And so I, I even snuck him into my bio uh, as part of that. If it wasn't for the time I spent with him and the time he frankly spent with me, I, I, I wouldn't be uh, doing what I'm doing. So I think he, he's my inspiration and uh, in real life, I think in my fake life, um, you know, I I find inspiration by listening to songs. I agree with that. Uh, and whenever I'm writing a battle scene, I throw on some Metallica or some Five Finger Death Punch, uh, and that gets you in the mood. And then there's some other songs when you're writing romantic scenes or you have to write you know character involved scenes where you just listen to the right kind of music and it gets you get get your blood pumping in the right direction.
0: For me, I have to. I would have to say, in in regards to music, I have to listen to jazz. Um, A lot of the older jazz, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, all that have really helped me to get there. But, J.B., thank you for being on our show. We really appreciate it. Can you tell us uh, where we can find you and anything that's coming up in the near future?
2: Yeah, uh I'm easy to find. Uh jvhilliard.com h i l l i a r d. Uh we'll take you to my website. You can also find my my books uh they're pretty ubiquitously available through, you know, distribution channels like Amazon or Apple Books or scribed or Barnes and Noble, you can find me there. If you like ebooks, you can download them. If you like paperbacks, you can buy them. And if you like audiobooks, they're there for you to listen to. So um, my social media channels are at JV Hilliard Books or just JV Hilliard on Facebook. <laughs> the rest of them are JV Hilliard Books, but I couldn't get that one on Facebook for whatever reason. Uh, but the rest of them on, on Twitter, Discord, Instagram and TikTok, you can find me there too. So, and look, I appreciate the time you guys spent allowing me to come on the show. I really enjoy this stuff, and that hour flew quickly. So, I will say you know, to your point about what's next, uh, my second novel in the series just launched yesterday. So, they can find Vorden's Lair on Amazon as it's getting populated into the rest of the systems. You can find it at your Barnes and Nobles, hopefully by the weekend.
0: That's awesome. And trust me, I'm going to get my copy too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you again for being on here. We really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. Thanks guys for having me.
0: All right, Marcella. We got what is it up now? Like two. We were 2000 last time. So is it 200,000 or 20,000 worth of a uh, opinion about our great author here
1: i don't know you talk a lot
0: so i didn't talk
1: a lot this time you did no i didn't well you talked <laughs> more, a little bit on this one a, a lot more bit. than you usually do i was listening i was listening uh no i mean um it it obviously it it hit home in a way you know i am like a it was a huge d and deer when i was a kid my kids now are d and deers that's what we call them here um and we're so nerdy that this is like, oh, you know, like I said, it, it brought me back to that movie. It was my favorite movie as a kid, The Flight of Dragons. And I said, OK, you know, I'll, I'll give it a read. You know me. If I like something, I will invest in it. So, um, yeah, it was cool.
0: So you, what you're saying is you'll add it to the list of great books that you're going to have to not only find, but actually start reading. Maybe. <laughs> All right, well, I have a pile. <laughs> sweetie we we have already went from a pile to an entire room they're okay. here oh you finally got them into that one little space now
1: no it was little
0: <laughs> anyways <laughs> anyways well for me I really enjoyed it too yes like you said when you first start out there is a lot of background on the characters and how they inter- react and how they what their connections are but once you get past that mm-hmm. there's so much involved in it that I thought was really interesting like I said it, this is a great read go out and find it the links for his socials and his website even the full version of his bio will be in the bio on our website thepinpodcast.com. You can go there, find out where you can find his book, find his websites and everything else that he's involved. Also, the other thing is, remember, after you listen to this, leave a review. Um, that'll help us to get up into the ranks on Apple, specifically Apple and Spotify, and continue to share and interact with these great authors. Go out, buy their books, buy their series of books, follow them, do everything you can to support them as much as they support everybody else. And like I say, keep writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pen.